you know, what, what Vacation Bible School is around here. And uh, it has become one of the, the highlights of the summer, um, one of the highlights of, um, of, of our time together. And, and I, I say again, I said last week, just a, a deep word of, of gratitude to all the volunteers who have been a part of it. And that's folks who are here at the front end helping decorate. Um, there are those who um, helped in the, the preparation stages, certainly uh, those who were, were here all week long. I mean, the, the, the crew leaders, we call them the crew leaders and the, the group leaders and, and those volunteers, you know, they, they look by the end of the week like they've been rode hard and hung up wet. You know, I mean, it's, it, is, it, is, it is exhausting. It really is. And I say that on, on their behalf because, as I said, kind of tongue-in-cheek, it's true. I, I get to just kind of float and I get to watch and I get to observe. And that's a lot of fun for me. Um, but, but we do. But we thank, um, thank you as well because uh, together we, we, you know, we want to be that kind of church that, um, that makes room for, for our kids and for, and for this experience. And um, Marilyn, where'd you go? What was it your great-grandson said when he, drove, when he went by the church this week? He said, this is where I go to Jesus' party. This is where I go to Jesus' party. Marilyn's great-grandson was part of Vacation Bible School when he went by, I guess, with his mother. She pointed out the church, and he said, if you didn't hear, this is where I go to Jesus' party. And, I mean, that is, that is awesome. We want, you know, all of us. I, I don't think just for kids. I, I, I really strive in my own life. I, I want to look forward to coming to church. That's why I do joke around. Sometimes maybe too much for some people. But I, when appropriate, and, and there's always fine lines with appropriate, and I've crossed them more than once, uh, but I, I want this to be a place where we can enjoy being together. And so this week was, was a lot of fun, and, and thank you for it. And we had, I believe, if you count all the kids and, and middle schoolers that were through at least, at least once or twice, because some are, are in and out during the week, I think we had about 120 kids here um, this week. Somebody said to me, they're like, wow, you know what we're going to have to do? We'll have to do two weeks next time. <laughs> No, don't, don't think so. But, uh, but it really was, um, it was. It was fantastic. So, and I don't think Ethel is in here. Um, but when you see her, you know, she does a great job of pointing uh, to all her volunteers and to giving a lot of that credit away. Um, but she deserves a lot of credit because she really organized. She keeps everything running. She's, um, she's in every place at once on a week like last week and does a tremendous job. So if you, if you see Ethel, extend to her um, also words of, of appreciation. We're, we're very, very lucky to have her. So anyway, so, so with VBS and with that, it, it obviously as I'm here each night and, and observing and, and with VBS kind of being a focus this morning, uh, I, I wanted to kind of jump off from the, the central theme of a vacation Bible school. And we use that kind of as a springboard for us to think about um, our faith this morning, the same way that the kids were challenged to think about their faith this morning. And so I want to turn to um, Matthew chapter 4, um, beginning at verse 18. This is Jesus' call of his disciples. I could have re- read some of these stories out of Matthew. I could have done it out of Mark. I could have done it out of Luke. Each of those Gospels have very similar stories. I could have found some other examples in the Gospel of John. And the point I'm getting at is you can find these kind of examples we'll talk about of, of Jesus' invitation in each of the Gospels. They permeate the Gospels. But this is one of the, the famous ones. And so we pick up in Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 18. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, 
Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat behind, or they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogue, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. And the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, we need to hear your invitation anew today. Hear it with fresh ears for some of us. Maybe for others, hear it for the first time. But understand what it means to to follow you. So open our hearts and our ears, our spirits to, to your voice and to your speaking into our lives today. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Follow him. That, that became the, um, the recurring mantra throughout the week. And, and as I listened to it and I observed the lessons and I, I just kind of watched, I, I became more and more impressed with the power in the simplicity of the Vacation Bible School message being follow him. Because it brings us to the very foundation of what it means to be a Christian. It instilled in, the, in, in each of these young people, children and, and young adults throughout the week, the, the foundation of what it means to be a Christian. Because I think we certainly want in the lives of, of young people to, to, to ground them in a, a solid base of, of understanding. Our faith is not about, it's not an intellectual pursuit, but we want to instill the, the proper base of, of what it means to, to be a Christian, the, the proper mindset maybe. But for some of us also, as I started to think about this morning, um, we sometimes need a recalibration. I need a recalibration. And, and I think maybe some of you might need a recalibration of the foundation of our faith and what it means to be a Christian. And what I mean by recalibration is I think too often in my life, and maybe in yours, uh, get a little off-center, a little backwards. Let me explain what I mean. Uh, There was one of the videos you may have seen, well, you you should have seen, um, in in the big video, and it was uh, Jimmy Rackey with his kids. Uh, And usually when there was crazy stuff happening with the kids, Jimmy Rackey's in the middle of it, if you don't know who Jimmy is. Um, and, uh, and it's a lot of fun to watch uh, him and Lori and, and their class, Kay and Bert Colony were in there. But, but Jimmy was outside, and, and you saw the kids chasing him. He had, I think, the GoPro or the camera he was holding up. And uh, you can't hear the audio there, but what he's playing um, is red light, green light. 
You remember that game? Red light, green light. And so he's green light. And then he said red light. And of course, they didn't stop. And, you know, it didn't. But, but I started to think about the games that we played as kids. We were talking about this week, red light, green light, and um, red rover, red rover, and some of those um, uh, some of those kind of games. And one of the ones that I remember, and I'm sure you do as well, was Simon Says. Remember Simon Says? Very simple game. You can only do it if Simon Says. But whatever Simon Says, you have to do. And um, it's a game about rules, really. Simon sets the rules, and you, in order to win the game, have to follow the rules. So I think, you know, there's, there's a mindset that permeates, begins to permeate sometimes, that, that sees faith that way. It's, it's Jesus says. It's the game Jesus says. Jesus says, read the Bible, so we should read the Bible. Jesus says, pray, so we should pray. Jesus says, go to church, so we need to go to church. All of those things are really good, okay? I'm not criticizing any of that. Or, or Jesus says, um, you know, don't disobey your parents, so we don't want to disobey our parents. Jesus says, don't be mean to others, so we, we don't want to be mean to others. But what happens is uh, it becomes almost a game to us. And so we need to make sure that we're doing or not doing whatever Jesus says. And, and holiness matters and right living is important. But what happens is our faith becomes founded, our, our, our barometer for whether we are living as good Christians, whatever that means, is are we following the rules? A good Christian does A, B, C. A good Christian does not do a, B, and C. And it becomes a game of Jesus says. The problem is that's a tough way to live our lives because one, it can become very frustrating for us. It can be very, very frustrating to try to figure out exactly what all those rules are because let's face it, in the church, big church, we don't all agree on that. Here at Methodist, we have a few rules. But if you go over to our friends over here at Parish Baptist, their rules may be a little different in some areas. You go over to St. Francis, and their rules may be a little different. So who's got the right rules? Which, who, who's, who's got that right? When, when do we baptize exactly? Well, uh, when, when do, how do we take communion? Um, uh, how do we confess our sins? Well, who's got the right rules? It can become very, very frustrating. And it creates in some a desire just not to play. Yeah, I don't want to play. You know what? I, I heard somebody say, you know what? I may be going to hell, but I know people there. You know? <laughs> Isn't that awful? But, but it's this idea that we, we don't want to play because it gets frustrating and, and, and it becomes legalistic and it becomes um, judgmental. And that's the other danger with that kind of a mindset is that... Um, it very often creates in us very judgmental spirits because we play by the rules. Why aren't you playing by the rules? I'm playing by the rules. Why aren't you playing by the rules? When I was, when I was growing up, one of the rules for me, and, and I created this. I don't remember it being instilled in me as a barometer for faith, but, it, but in my mind, as, as a young kid growing up, the way you could tell a Christian from a non-Christian was whether or not they cussed. That was my barometer. If you used bad words, you were not a Christian. And, um, and what happens is that creates a very judgmental spirit. Well, I'm right with God, but, but you're not. And now as a seven or eight or nine-year-old, um, you know, I didn't, I, I, I wasn't kind of processing that way, but that's what it was doing. You know, if I had kids in my class, 
if I had kids in my class, for the kids in my class that used words that I didn't use, well, somehow they were, they were, they were not favored of God. They were, not, they were not right with God. And so it created this kind of habit in me that I have to fight still today. The rules may have changed. You know, I may not be as judgmental about um, word use, so I try to still keep my speech holy. Tony will tell you that doesn't always happen, but I try. I'm, I'm human too, um, so I've softened on that one a little bit. Um, but, but other rules will creep, creep in and begin to infiltrate my mind, and so I'll see people that behave a certain way or act a certain way, and, and in my heart, I've got to recognize sometimes I become judgmental. I become like a Pharisee because that's the danger when our faith is built on rules. Now, please hear me say to you, I am not discounting or pushing aside the importance of, of holiness and the way that we live and the way that our lives live to honor God. That is very, very important. But what I am saying to you, let's examine what the foundation is. Because when we go to the Gospels, and when we look at Matthew, and we look at Mark, and we look at um, Luke, and we look at John, any of those Gospels, we, we learn something. That Jesus' invitation is incredibly relational. It is foundationally relational. In that Jesus doesn't call people first and foremost to a set of rules. Jesus doesn't say... Um, live this way and do that and do that and then you can come kind of hang out with me. Jesus starts faith from the foundation of a relationship and he does it through the simple words that we hear him speak in Matthew chapter four. Follow me. Follow me. And throughout the gospels, this is the invitation Jesus gives. He gives it here to, um, to Peter and to, to James and to John, to Andrew uh, he gives it to Matthew. He gives it to a rich young ruler. Uh, he gives it to crowds that will come. Follow me. And what he's doing is he's inviting us into a relationship, not a set of rules. He's inviting us into a... In fact, the Greek word means to... It's kind of a combination of the word union and journey or path. So he's inviting us to be in union with him on the journey which he leads. Now understand, follow me implicitly states we are going where Jesus goes. Matthew, James, John, Andrew. They went where Jesus went. But what he's doing is he's inviting relationship. He's basically saying, come be a part of my group. Come be a part of my posse. I will identify with you as you identify with me. And I mean, think about some of the ways that Jesus would not only describe God, but describe our relationship with him. We've talked about some of these, but when he refers to God, he refers to God as Father, Abba, Daddy. A deeply, powerfully, intimately relational term. When he, when he invites us into the relationship, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches abide in me and I will abide in you. It is relationship. It's connection. Later on, he, he talks about being a good shepherd. He talks about the shepherd and the sheep and that's not a, an image that is as familiar to us because that's not the, for most of us anyway. But it was, was significantly familiar to his audience. 
And what does he say? He says, my sheep recognize my voice. They respond to my voice. They move in my direction. And so what I loved listening to this week is the lessons that, was in, that were instilling into the lives of all of these young people that, that were part of this vacation Bible school. The same lessons that we need to hear is that our faith is not built on a foundation of rules. It's not built on Jesus says, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, do, don't, do, don't, do, don't. Makes our heads spin around. Our faith is built on a relation, an invitation to a relationship. Come and follow me. And that begins to produce holiness and fruit in us. It begins to produce righteous living. It begins to create in us a heart for Jesus that not only wants to, to honor Jesus, but wants to begin to reflect him, to live into his love because of the deep and powerful connection of the relationship. So I started to think, how do, how do we begin to understand that? How do I begin to frame it and put some meaning and some real-world application there? And I began to think about Marriage, specifically my marriage to Tony. There are a lot of promises I made and, and, and you made uh, in, in your weddings. Promises, things, uh, rules that I said kind of I would follow. For instance, um, that, that in our relationship, I would be committed to this for better, for worse, for richer, for poor. Remember that? Probably all of you who are married said something along those lines. Okay. That, that was my promise. It says, well, the external realities of our life, the external challenges, will not short-circuit the commitment I make to her to live in marriage for the long haul, for, for the rest of our lives. Okay? That, that's a promise. That's, that's, if you want to look at it, it's a rule. It's a good rule, but it's a rule. You know, I promise to have no other person but her. That basically sexuality and intimacy would be shared only with her. That's a gift that we give to each other as God has ordained. And I made a promise that she would be the only person in my life that would, that would have that part of who I am and that I would honor that. So basically that I won't cheat and have an affair, a rule. And that, that I, would, I would have her for the rest of my life and, and, and you know, that I would respect her and I'd be kind to her. And all of these rules, these are really good things. In fact, if I said to you, here's a marriage and all these rules are followed, would we say, that's a good marriage? Well, our instinct would say, well, that's a good start. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good marriage. Because there was a phrase in there as I looked back over those vows, which I have spoken hundreds of times doing weddings, that encapsulates the heart of the race. See, the thing is, I have never woken up and thought, okay, today in my marriage, what is it I need to remember? All right. Okay, don't cheat. That's good. Let's not do that. Um, be nice to Tony. Let's do that. Um, respect. I, I've never walked, woken up one day of my life and thought, okay, let me run through my checklist of rules. She would remind me, thank you. <laughs> Touche. Because there's a phrase that is the foundation. See, none of those rules are the foundation. Here's the foundation. The promise I made out of the heart that I have for her to love and to cherish. When a relationship is built on love. See, I don't wake up and go, man, I need to remember not to do those things because I promise not to. But what I do think is I love this person. And out of my love for her, 
out of the commitment I have to want to, not because I have to, but that I want to spend the rest of my life with her. Why would I cheat? Because that would break her heart. Why would I disrespect her? Because that devalues who she is. Now listen, let me say, let me me back up for a second. I'm not a perfect husband, obviously. Anybody who knows me knows that. I have broken those vows before. Now, don't let your imagination run wild, okay? (laughs) Let's back that truck up. I've not always been as loving as I should be. I've not always been as respectful as I should be, okay? So it's, I, I, I'm, I'm not in any way indicating perfection. But what I'm saying is that I don't base the relationship on the rules. The rules, the way that I live and honoring them is birthed out of the relationship. So it's not rules than relationship. It's relationship that leads to, I don't want to say rules, right living or my desire to, to live right. Well, well, that's the same foundation that, that our faith is built on. And it is that we are called into a relationship with Christ. And in that relationship, it begins to shape us into the reflection of Jesus. Then we begin, and, and, and again, not so much, forget about the, the do's and don'ts, other than these, to begin to love others as he's loved us. To begin to serve others as he's served us. To be able to show God's grace to others as God has shown his grace to us. And to be able to experience what God pours into us through the presence of his Holy Spirit, which is powerfully relational. And so, I want you to see, we have these five posters up front. I know not everybody can see them from the back. You can kind of catch them later. But I want to explain this because I love this as as I started to think about it. Each poster, each character here was unveiled during the week. These were the Bible buddies. And let me introduce the Bible buddies to you. The first one over here is Sal. Sal the salamander. Okay. And Sal reminds us of this, that God gives us hope. That was the lesson of the day. And what would happen in Vacation Bible School is, is Tony or whoever was up front would say, God gives us hope. And the kids in unison would yell back, follow him. God gives us hope, follow him. And salamanders, and then they had the story about the salamanders and how they start off with none of the appendages they need and they have to trust that God has created within them the ability to adapt. So God gives us hope. And then the next week, this was my favorite. This is Martha, the moth. Martha, and, um, Ma, and she reminded us that God gives us courage to fly around in the dark to overcome the challenges. God gives us courage. Again, follow him. And then we had Radar, the bat, Radar. God gives us, anyone want to guess? Direction. That's right. God gives us direction. Uh, his direction, his spirit which leads. And then we had Olivia, the owl. And um, the owl's face looks like a heart. So God gives us his love. And then the last one was um, Ray. Ray. Thank you. I was trying to remember his name. Ray the glow worm. And uh, that reminds us that God gives us his power. But what I thought about as I thought about each of these was that they're not rules. We weren't sitting up here going, okay, kids, to be a good Christian, let's do, do, don't, don't. But it was... This is what God pours into you, into us, in the relationship that he's invited us into. It begins to be the way in which he crafts and molds and shapes us that fills us with his hope and his courage and his direction 
and his guidance, I mean, and his love and his power. And it's a relational truth, not a, a list of rules and do's and don'ts kinds of truth. And that, for us, needs to be what we understand as the foundation of, of what it means to be a Christian. It is to follow him, to live in a relationship with Jesus. And that's good news, because I started to think about those people that, uh, that Jesus gave those invitations to. You know, they did not have their lives together. You know, they didn't. They often um, were not very much like Jesus when he called them. They were tax collectors and fishermen and ruffians and, and prostitutes. They were what would seem to be very far away from God if we were measuring by do's and don'ts. But you know, the more somebody thought they had their life together, the less likely they were to follow Jesus. Think about that. The more that they thought they had their lives together, the less likely they were to follow Jesus. So this idea that somehow we've got to know the rules and figure it out and and be No, Jesus just says, come follow me. Jesus was incredibly comfortable with people who were not like him. And people who were not like Jesus were very incredibly comfortable with him. And, and we need to remember that. Heaven forbid, you know, there should be nobody who ever walks into the fellowship of our church that is uncomfortable. Not at least by our actions or behavior. There is nobody who should ever walk in here that should be put at an unease because somehow they wonder what we think of them or how we're judging them. Because that's the furthest thing from Christ. And when we do that, that is not Jesus. If you've ever experienced that, if you've walked in a church, heaven forbid, you've walked in this church and you felt kind of kept at arm's distance. Or you felt that somehow people were looking down at you in some way. Understand, that's a reflection of our sin. That's not a reflection of our Savior. Because that's not who he was. That's not what he did. So that's good news for us. He invites us all into the relationship. And he invites us to invite others into the relationship. And the other thing was, they weren't even believers. In fact, some of them stuck around Jesus for years, and they still weren't quite believers. In fact, we gave a very famous nickname to one of them. Do you know who I'm talking about? Who? Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas had spent years with Jesus. And at the resurrection, what's he say? I'm not so sure I buy any of this. And yet Jesus didn't cast him aside. He didn't push him away. He challenged him and continued to invite him into the relationship. This is really good news for us. This is really good news for us. But it also becomes the good news we're called to share. That we're to be the conduits to invite people into that relationship with Jesus who loves them as they are and and receives them where they are and then begins to work the change in our lives. Then, you know, Jesus doesn't call people who have it all together. He calls people, and then he challenges us to allow him to begin to put us together. And that's what it means to be a Christian. We need to sometimes recalibrate a little bit. And the kids helped me recalibrate this week. God gives us hope. Follow him. God gives us courage. Follow him. Christ gives us direction. Follow him. Christ gives us love. Follow him. Christ gives us his power. Follow him. It is the most simple and yet profound invitation of what it means to be a Christian. It is simply this. Follow him. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we, uh, 
We thank you that you give us all that invitation. Everybody in the sound of my voice here today has been given that invitation to follow. Jesus looks at us, and yeah, we, we may be broken. Yeah, we may not have the rules right. We may live pretty messed up lives sometimes. And holiness is a call, but it is not the starting point. Simply coming to you. Simply hearing your voice. Simply making a decision to begin a journey in union with Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. And allowing your Holy Spirit to work, to put the pieces of our lives together, to shape us to be more Christ-like, and to live lives of holiness. But Lord, forgive us when we get that backwards. Forgive us when we become self-righteous in our own faithfulness or judgmental toward others. Cleanse us of that. Come and follow. Come and follow. Come and follow. May that be our mantra. The truth of our lives and the truth of our outreach as the people of Christ. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.